Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can gather together, that we can look at your word, that we learn and we can seek you and we can know what is good and right, we can understand what difference it makes to listen to you, Lord. We ask that you would be with us, bless us, empower us in this time as we come to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we are in the last two chapters of the book of Acts. Today we're in chapter 27. Next week we will finish up chapter 28. Let's read our, our theme verse together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's a famous poem that I'm sure you've heard called The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost. And it says this, two, word, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, Though as for that, the passing there had worn then really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. As we get to Acts chapter 27, we're going to see that there's two roads that they can choose to travel, two paths that they can go on. And the question we're going to look at today is what difference does it make if I listen to myself, if I listen to the experts in the world, or if I listen to God? What difference does it make? We see Paul has made his appeal to Caesar, right? He got arrested, he, got, he made his appeal to Caesar, and so he's been in Caesarea for two years. You look in the bottom right-hand corner, you see Caesarea. He's been in prison for two years while he's been waiting to come before Caesar in trial. And way up in the upper left-hand corner of the map is Rome, and that's where he's going to go. And you see a lot of blue in between Caesarea and Rome, and that's where the ship is going to have to travel. And as we go through Acts 27, they, we, it talks about the journey that they are taking in this ship. And so we read Paul's warning in verse 27. He said, man, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. We need to understand that Paul is very attuned to the Lord. Paul listens to the Lord, and he heeds the words of the Lord, and he has been given this vision that now he's sharing with those on the boat. He wants them to understand the peril that they will face. He's receiving guidance of the Lord, and he is passing that on to others because he knows it is an important word that they need to hear. He's not just concerned about his own life. He's concerned of the lives of all who are on the ship. So, as he speaks to the centurion, this message, what does the centurion do? Well, we're told in verse 11, and whenever you see yellow, would you please read with me? So let's read this together. 
But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Now, at first glance, it's not surprising that the centurion listened to the pilot, right? I mean, he would listen to someone who had sailing experience over a prisoner who was on the ship. And so he listened to the pilot and not to Paul. But then we see what happens next in verses 18 to 20. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw... Okay, I'm sorry, back there. It, uh, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, what happened? We finally gave up all hope of being saved. See, things did not go well as this this wind of hurricane force came upon them. And it causes them to start throwing the cargo overboard to lighten the ship, hoping to save the ship and their lives. And ultimately, it got so bad that they gave up all hope of even having their lives saved. They are in serious danger. They have thrown off their cargo, which has cost them a great amount of money. They have no food. Things that seem desperate, if they had only chosen to listen to Paul, which would actually have been listening to God, right? Things would have gone better for them, but they did not choose that path. Last week, we talked about the story of Jonah, how Jonah was trying to run away from the call of God to go to the Ninevites. He boarded a ship, and remember how the storm came? He knew the storm was God getting his attention. So to save the people on the ship, he jumped overboard. And of course, God sent this great fish to swallow him up and vomited him onto the land. And then he fulfilled the call that God gave him. Well, the storm that we're facing today in Acts chapter 27 is not one of those storms that God is trying to get anyone's attention per se. It's just a normal uh, environment at that time. They had tried to beat the storm to get to Rome before the storms had come. They had not done that. And they were in danger. But Paul knew that God was watching over him. And Paul wanted to give them a message of affirmation. Unfortunately, in our world, all too often, we do not listen to the voice of God as we should. Or maybe we don't listen to the voice of God coming from another person to us as we should. God wants to speak a message to us, and maybe we ignore that message. Maybe we'd rather listen to someone who seems to have experience in a particular area instead of listening to the voice of God. And because of this, we see great problems in the lives of people around us and great problems in our world. There are many areas where people don't listen to the voice of God, but I want to just talk about three areas uh, this morning. We're going to talk about relationships, we're going to talk about greed, and we're going to talk about needing God. So the first area is that of relationships. Now, relationships is not always easy, especially when there's conflict, right? When there's conflict, that can make relationships really difficult because we're not really listening to the other person. We're not really talking to the other person. We're just wanting to, to get our way. You know, a lot of problems comes in relationships because people want to be in control. I mean, I don't think we go into a relationship saying, I'm going to be in control in this relationship. It just kind of subtly happens. We're in that relationship. We want to get our way. We want to see something that we want to happen, right? 
And so maybe the other person's talking. I, I've often said this in, uh, in my premarital counseling. Uh, I, I came across this, quote, across this quote, which is great. Two monologues do not make a dialogue. <laughs> and all too often, when we're in conflict, we are speaking in monologues. I'm not listening to what the other person's saying because I'm thinking about what I want to say next. And we're not having a dialogue. I'm just speaking my mind, and the other person speaking their mind, and the conflict continues because there's not a humbling of oneself to bring about resolution. And there's not a bringing of God into that relationship at that moment. And so the conflict continues, and relationships can be difficult. If you look at many relationships that do not have God at the center, you will see that they are struggling to find peace and unity. They may even go to a counselor, but if the counselor is not a Christian, then God is still not brought into that situation, and they still are seeking to do things in their own power, in their own thinking, in their own way, and they're not allowing God to bring resolution to that relationship. And the, the people are not working together to further the will of God in their relationship. And so the storm of destruction comes upon them. Another area where people oftentimes do not listen to God is greed, right? Money. Money is so insidious, right? The more you get, the more you want. We try to, to take our money and buy possessions thinking that these possess possessions will bring us happiness. And maybe for a time they do, but then we get tired of them, so we buy something else. And we're constantly seeking, seeking, seeking satisfaction from the things in the world, from the money that is there, from the money that we possess, thinking that we need to have more and more money and buy more and more things, and yet we find ourselves not happy. Maybe even a little depressed and lonely, because what we were seeking after to fulfill us is not fulfilling our deepest needs. Greed is also pursued in even more subtle ways, like trying to move up the corporate ladder. Now, I'm not saying that getting a promotion is a bad thing, but oftentimes when people get a, are seeking to get a promotion or they get a promotion, it's about the status of the promotion. It's about the increased amount of money that comes with the promotion. And oftentimes, I've seen this happen time and time again. I've had so many counseling sessions where the husband or the wife is working more and more, thinking that they're doing that to provide for the family, but in the end, they are not there for their family and so this greed that they don't even realize is guiding them hurts their relationship with the people around them. Even more, we li live in a world where people think that they do not... Oh, I was going to read this. Read the yellow with me. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. The third thing I want to mention is that people oftentimes don't think that they need God. They're constantly walking away with God, thinking that they know God, or maybe the only time they turn to God is when they have this great problem, and then they say, God, I need you to solve this problem for me. And then once that problem is solved, then they again walk away from God and think that they need to or want to do it on their own. They don't read the Bible. They don't let God be the Lord of their life. They don't go to church. They live for themselves, not for God. Maybe they even think that it is a sign of weakness to say, I need God. And so they don't want that to, to appear weak. And so not wanting to appear weak, 
They want to be independent from God, right? Maybe they think that God is irrelevant. And so they press on through their loneliness, through their depression, through their lostness. Even in the storms of life, they are not turning to God. God will not support us in our replacing our need of him. God will not support us if we're seeking money and possessions to satisfy us. God will not support us if we are seeking to be independent from him. And the waves of destruction come upon us and overwhelm us and bring destruction into our lives. As I think about my life before Jesus and after Jesus, I understand that before I was a Christian, I had friends, but those relationships were not that deep because there was selfishness on both sides. But once I came to know the Lord, my relationships deepened. I had great depth, I have great depth in my relationships now, and I'm there to, to serve others. And others are there to help me. When I was thinking about a career before I was a Christian, it was all about getting money so that I could you know, get a good house, right? And I could have the respect of others. But now my job is about helping others and leading others to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. That is my goal and my job, making a difference in people's lives. As we look at Paul's life, we see a different story before Jesus and after, don't we? As we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen that before Paul met Jesus, he was persecuting Christians, thinking he was doing a great thing for God. But then after he met Jesus Christ, he gave his whole life to preaching the gospel so that people could come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That was his one motivating factor in his life to serve God, and to tell others about Jesus. Paul was one who came to listen to Christ and to seek to live for Christ and be an example to others of how to live for Christ. And Paul found Christ in Christ what it meant to have peace and joy and to be filled with the love of God. Paul lived a life that was so different that people looked at his life and noticed that he was different than they were that he had something that they did not. He had something that they wanted. He knew what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit to guide him and instruct him and empower him to do the work he was called to do. And even in the midst of being persecuted and being in the storm that he now found himself in, he was at peace because he knew God was with him. And so we see Paul sharing in verses 21 to 25. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you, keep up courage. Because not one of you will be lost. Only this ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of, the, of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. Oh, read that with me. 
Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. What amazing, powerful, wonderful words that Paul gives to the people on this boat. They were fearful for their lives. They're in this great storm, and Paul is saying, be of courage. All will be well. God is here watching over us. And I believe that what God has told me will come to pass. Listen to my words. You didn't before, and look what happened. Listen to my words, and all will be well. Let me ask you some questions. Have you shown this kind of trust in the Lord? Do you have the courage that all will be well when difficulties arise? Do you seek God to give you guidance and wisdom and understanding in how you are to live your life? Do you allow God to direct your choices? If you do, then you will experience the wonder and the joy that God has for you in your life. If you do, then you will experience the power and the miracles of God regularly happening in your life. If you do, then you will not live fearfully, but you will have peace in all circumstances, even in the storms of life. We've talked about the challenges that so many people face in relationships. If we allow God to guide our relationships, then we will experience the fullness of what relationships are meant to be. God has placed people in our lives to build us up, to make us better. Those are the kinds of people you want in your life. That's the kind of relationship you have. If you are letting God lead you and guide you, then he will lead you to the people that will bless you and that are meant to be in your life. And they'll help you to make the good choices in your life. And your relationships will be deeper and more meaningful and will have purpose. And when there's conflict, you'll be able to seek reconciliation. Have you experienced this in your friendships? You can if you let the Lord lead and guide you. I've had many people tell me that they think I have a wonderful marriage, and, and I'm humbled by that and thankful for that. I, I don't take any pride in those words. I, I thank God for the relationship I have with my wife. And I believe the relationship we have is because we both seek to be humble before the Lord. And we both seek to serve one another. And we both seek to, to listen to one another. And there is conflict at times in our relationship. But when there is, we don't look to blame the other person for the problem. We look to, to talk about what is the issue and how it can be resolved and how we can work together and how we can compromise and how we can let the Lord lead us and guide us in his will for our marriage. And that's why I think that we do have a good marriage. There's a man named Scott Lewis, and he's the owner of Scott Machinery. And he attended a conference by Bill Bright, a well-known Christian speaker, a businessman and, and Christian. And Bill Bright was challenging the people that were there to give $1 million to God's call the God's command to go and make disciples. He was challenging people, I want you to give a million dollars. Well, later after the conference, Scott was talking with Bill 
And he was explaining to him that he didn't even make $50,000 a year in his job. And so Bill looked at him and right away said, well, why don't you give $50,000 this year to the Lord? And he kind of had that nervous little chuckle, you know, and so it says something to you that's like, what did you say? <laughs> and he, he thought that Bill didn't hear him right, and he said, no, I don't even make $50,000 a year. And Bill shook his head and said, I understand, but I'm challenging you. I want you to give $50,000 to the Lord. And so he shared this with his wife, and they decided to take up this challenge. And they started to give, because at that time, Bill had asked him, well, how much do you give? And he said, well, we give $17,000, about 35%. He was feeling pretty prideful about that, right, that number. 35% of my salary I give. That's, that's a pretty high number. But now he had this challenge of giving 50000 50, well, they were struggling along, trying to give it, and by this miracle on December 31st, of the last day of the year, God provided enough money so that they were able to give $50,000 that year. So next year, they set a goal to give $100,000. And by God's provision, they gave $100,000. And this went on for a few years until they ultimately got to that place where they were giving a million dollars a year to the kingdom of God. But do you see a difference what's going on here? At first, he was prideful of his giving, right? I give 35%. What do you give? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? But he got to the place to where instead of being prideful about his giving, he was joyful in his giving. He was so excited that he could give all that money to the Lord and to the Lord's work. There was a change in attitude. He was content with what he had, but grateful and excited to give as much as he could possibly give to the work of the Lord. Once we get this attitude of joyful giving, where we're excited about giving our money away, then we will learn how to be content. Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I have learned to be content, Paul says. And then we read in Philippians 4.19, Paul says this. Again, this, this is the, the wisdom that Paul has gained in walking with Christ. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God knows what we need. Read with me, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why can we cast our anxiety? Because he cares for us. God loves us more than anyone could possibly love us. And then Jesus says these words to us. Oops. Matthew 6, 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need. And when you ask him of what you need, and you trust him, he will bring to you what you need. Now, sometimes that might be different than what you think you need. And it might be different from what you want. Your wants and what you think you need are not always the same as what God knows you need. But if you trust in him and be content with what you have and just say, God, I know that you will provide for me, God will provide 
what you need. And the more you give, the more God provides for you. It will happen. It happens. You need to trust the Lord for this. So first, we need God. Why? Because he created us to be in relationship with him. Second, we need God because he, he is God, and, and he knows better than we do what we need. Third, we need God because he knows that this world cannot fulfill our needs and desires. Only God can fulfill that. Fourth, we need God because he has the power to help us in the midst of life's storms. And so the question we need to ask ourselves every day is what difference does it make? What difference does it make for me to trust God and to seek God and go down that path that God has for me instead of the path I might choose that is different from what God has? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I trust in the Lord and seek Him to guide me in my life? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if I listen to God instead of myself or other voices around me? What difference does it make? And I believe the answer is clear. It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in your life if you listen to God and follow God and seek God and live for God and share God with others. It makes all the difference. Let us pray.